Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's cracking my peppers? This is Robert Evans bringing you a classic introduction to the podcast Behind the Bastards, where we tell you everything you don't know about the worst people in all of history. Now, I've decided to do this blast from the past introduction because this week, lads and ladies, thems and fems, himbos and us, but whatever. Uh, anyway, we're, we're doing a classic Behind the Bastards episode. We're getting back to our roots. We're, uh, we're, we're doing, it, doing it old school style, and we're talking about a Nazi. Yay! Matt Lieb, our guest for today. <laughs> Matt, you're a podcaster, uh, right. co-host of the podcast Pod Yourself a Gun, which is mm-hmm. the show The Sopranos. And obviously, Matt, as a comedian, you understand that there's nothing more toxic than getting political. But I want to ask you to just kind of riskily delve into those waters and 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 answer me this question. The Nazis, Mm. are we like are we like warm, cold, lukewarm? Where where do you land on the Nazis? Honestly, bro, jury still out on the Nazis. I think people are starting to just like think like, hey, maybe they had some ideas. A lot of people are starting to think that way, Matt. (laughs) They're like, wait, Um, wait, maybe some of that stuff about the Jews kind of rings true. mm -hmm. Um, JK, uh, I'm anti. anti anti Anti-Nazis. Vehemently. How would you like to learn about the worst Nazi? Oh, man, I thought I've every time I come on, I feel like I've learned about the worst Nazi. And I'm like, well, we're well, done with the know, Holocaust. This is when we talk about 
the Nazis and we talk about the Holocaust. Obviously, there's a couple of different categories of worst. There's the guys who are actually like out in the field doing war crimes with their actual bodies against mm. other people's actual bodies. And there's the guys who are like organizing it, doing the paper pushing that made it possible. There's the propagandists who got everyone riled up. I tend to find those latter two categories more interesting, right? Sure. Because there's always just like thuggish, thuggish pieces of shit who will like hurt people. Absolutely. Um, the guy we're talking about today is kind of both. He mm. straddles both those lines. And as a spoiler, this is a guy who got written up by the SS for violence during the siege of Warsaw. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is that is the level of level of Nazi we're talking. The SS wow. was like, this guy's making us look bad. This guy is really wow. mean to the Jews right now. Yeah. I mean, I hate the Jews, but holy shit. Jesus. Calm the fuck down. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We get it. The Jews are bad. Dude, just calm I mean, the fuck. <laughs> we're killing these people, but good lord. <laughs> yes, I, I understand you want to do it all right now, but there's a process, okay? Mm -hmm. We're trying to do it step by step. My god, yeah, mine got <laughs> mine got. Oh, uh, there's nothing like making fun of a German accent. Oh, it's a lot. Um, of fun. it is good. You never have to ask for permission to no, make fun of No, you're Germans. officially, I think, yeah. for the next mm -hmm. thousand the thousand years, uh, everyone can just do a German accent and make yeah. fun of them. And bring no, for, up their history whenever you disagree with them on some random thing. That is the punishment. Instead of a thousand year Reich for a thousand right. years, we all get to be a little racist against yeah. German people. But it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> They're so never going to complain. <laughs> thousand year uh, accent Reich where you're just like, yeah. oh, hi, I'm German. Mm, oh, chocolates. look at me, Mr. Mm. War Crimes. Yeah. <laughs> I like to climb the mountains. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I don't like Jews, but I lost the whole war. Where? Look at my Lederhosen and my decision to invade <laughs> Russia without winter courts, yeah. <laughs> I, plan I have out a feather in my hat. Look at me. I don't know. Do they have feathers in their hats? I feel like uh, I'm thinking of a very specific... At some point. I, yeah. yeah, feathers in that idol this flower, whatever. Anyway, yeah. so we're talking about Oscar Derlwanger today. That's his name. Um, ridiculous huh. name. Ridiculous name. Um, but also quite possibly the worst personal history of bloodshed that I've heard about a Nazi having. Holy fuck. Um, he is... A real, a, a staggering piece of shit. What's his not, name? You said o Oscar Durlwanger. Durlwanger. Okay. Durlwanger. Ridiculous we him, name. We call him Oscar the Grouch because he is so <laughs> grouchy. He is. He is a very grumpy man. <laughs> He's a he's a thug and and a, just a, a gross thug. But he's also an an unlike most of the thugs, a key part of like the organizing machinery of genocide. Mm -hmm. He didn't just take lives hand to hand. He helped orchestrate mass killings um, and, and made sort of policy for Nazi field units doing genocide that was mm -hmm. adopted on a pretty wide scale. But before we talk about him, we mm -hmm. got to get into one of my favorite topics, Matt Lieb. What? Hitlerology. Yes. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people study Hitler, a lot of a lot of Hitler stands out there. Yeah. Um, and I'm there's a big, a, th I'm a big Hitlerologist, you Hitlerologist. know, I know a thing or two. Yeah. I've, I've decided that I would not go back in time to kill him. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Because if you think about it by now, <clears throat> like Hitler's got to be a fucking expert at killing time travelers. You're right. right? That is a good point. Because that's all he does all day. Mm -hmm. So every time traveler who's gone back in time has died at the hands of Hitler because we still know who he is. So, yeah. I feel yeah, like it's so a trick to get the Jews to accidentally Holocaust themselves by like inventing time travel and then 
dying at the hands of Adolf Hitler. Like he has a there's a little room that they all go to. And he <laughs> That's his, all his actual secret plan. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had I actually have an idea for a TV show. Perhaps mm. I shouldn't be sharing this with the open internet. But <laughs> scientists go back in time and they reverse the polarity of Hitler's brain and they make Whoa. him reverse Hitler. And then after that, it's a matchmaking show. And he's just trying to get Jewish couples to get together and have babies. Oh, to like undo wow. all of his crimes, uh, like a Hitler Yenta. That's yeah, like cute. a Hitler love boat. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> matchmaker, matchmaker, <laughs> make me. I'm, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Probably will be the. Yeah, probably shouldn't shouldn't say that on the open internet, but I did. So. <laughs> Amongst people who are like Hitler nerds, which mm -hmm. nobody who does this professionally calls themselves, but I call them sure. that. Yeah, that's um, what they are. There's a big debate as to whether or not Hitler was what some academics call a weak dictator. Now, mm -hmm. this term, when it gets kind of like translated, particularly apocalyptic academics, is sort of un. It, it, it gets people kind of interpret it the wrong way when the people who are the academics who are calling him a weak dictator are not arguing that he wasn't influential or central to Nazi crimes. Mm. Instead, it's more of a debate about the way in which he exercised influence and the way in which the the actual structural ways in which he contributed to the Holocaust. Right. There's mm -hmm. a debate about and, and basically so one side of this, they're called intentionalists and intentionalist historians argue that Hitler was, quote, master in the Third Reich, essentially a micromanager who exercised tremendous direct control and gave specific orders that are behind many of the regime's crimes. Now, right. the other side of this debate, they're called generally either structuralists or functionalists. Right. Mm -hmm. And these historians think that the structure of the Nazi party and the Nazi state actually hamstrung Hitler from exercising direct power. And thus his influence in things like the Holocaust was more a result of his rhetoric and the culture that he helped build and helped have take over Germany rather than actual specific minute orders that he issued. Right. Interesting. OK. Yeah. So like the George W. Bush theory where everyone's like, right. he's not really war criminal because he's too stupid. It was Cheney who's the real war criminal. And I'm like, why not both? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do want to say most of the people who are making the argument that like he was a weak dictator are not trying to mitigate his crimes. They're just oh, trying okay. to understand specifically how did the Holocaust occur and how did the Nazi party do the crimes that it did? Right. Can, was yeah, Hitler yeah. was Hitler sitting there being like, and you go kill the and you go. Or was it more that like, well, he he puts these people in power and he builds this system where all of these guys are kind of competing to be the worst Nazi to rise in this party. And it, right, it's that sure. sort of thing, right? Yeah. So it's not really, no, I don't think, most of them are not trying to mitigate his crimes. They're more just trying to be specific about, and I'm not taking, by the way, a side here as to who is I'm right. I'm still because, calling them Hitler lovers. Yeah. I'm still doing <laughs> So it. the Hitler lovers. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. love Hitler. Yeah. You want to kiss him. Some, some of these guys are Jewish, so we probably shouldn't Well, it's too late Although, if you're trying to. Mm -mm. Some, it's complicated because some of them are Holocaust deniers. Um, yeah. oh. it's, it's messy. <laughs> Hitler, when you, when you really get deep, deep into Hitler studies, it gets kind of messy. Oof. And part of one of the reasons why there's a debate, right? If you look at a guy like Putin, nobody's going to argue that Putin is not a strong dictator in that he exercises direct personal control over what his regime does, right? We know right. right now that he's like giving field orders to his commanders in Ukraine directly, which is like that's strong dictator stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that is certainly something Hitler did from a military standpoint. No one really argues that he wasn't a strong dictator 
as regards his control of the military machine. Right. Yeah. The war it's machine more like, for sure. In terms of the the architecture of genocide, you know, mm. what, how do we how do we categorize him? Um, yeah. And and part of the reason why there's this debate is that Hitler knew that he was committing a genocide um, and was pretty <laughs> careful about not having shit written down. Right. Right. Like he's he's the stringer bell of this where he's like, don't fucking take notes on this. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Motherfucker, um, you taking notes on a criminal yeah. conspiracy? <laughs> Although there are a lot of notes on his criminal conspiracy. He's just kind of coy about stuff. So there's I not. I just want to say a shout out to you for bringing a stringer bell reference. Oh, into yeah. this Because oh, I'm now, always looking for it. We're now covering the wire. Pod yourself. Yeah. The wire is the new show. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you like. Stringer Bell references and mm-hmm. you're behind the bastards. Sorry, I had to plug. I, I have a baby coming. I need to plug. <laughs> so Hitler, I mean, yeah, again, quite careful about there's not like a piece of paper where Hitler says, hey, guys, I want you to start doing death camp shit. Right. Hey, guys, turn Auschwitz into a factory for murder. Right. Yeah. We don't have yeah. like Hitler signing that piece of paper. Right. Obviously, again, spoilers. He knew about all of it. He was very involved in all yeah. of it. But he's not like sitting down and being like, and everybody make sure to note that I Hitler told you to do this because yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a pretty serious crime he's committing. Yes. And he um, knows it. And, uh, and it's, it's the fucked up thing is it's like the foundation of, I think a lot of Holocaust denialism is the fact that they were so secretive about yeah. the entire project. So you, you know, to this day, there are people who f- are falling for Hitler's <laughs> fucking bullshit. Yeah. And, and there is, there's a whole strain of people who are not quite Holocaust deniers who will say, yeah, the Holocaust happened and it was bad. They'll also say stuff like it wasn't as bad as the bombing of German cities or it wasn't as bad as the right, Russian right. cities. It's all nonsense. But then they'll be like, but Hitler didn't direct it, right? Like mm-hmm. we have no evidence. This was just things that, like this. is th- These are like things that there's weird Nazis out there, right? right. It's, a, it's a anyway. So the the actual phrase weak, weak dictator comes from a historian named Hans Mommsen, who argued alongside other historians that the Fuhrer was actually a weaker leader in a lot of ways than previous German rulers, right? Mm. In terms of the way he exercised power, he has less direct power than a guy like the Kaiser did, right? Right. That, that's he's no, he's no Kaiser von Wilhelm. I'll tell yeah. you that. <laughs> and, and, and what he's saying is that he's not, again, Mommsen, as far as I know, is not trying to deny the Holocaust, what he's saying is that the the way the Nazi state was constructed is all of these guys who are basically gangsters come mm-hmm. in, they destroy a lot of the existing German bureaucracy, and they replace it with a nest of like a, a this web basically of of conflicting criminal gangs that are all fighting each other and sometimes killing each other. And that makes it hard for Hitler to direct aspects of state personally in a way Mm. other autocrats are able to do this was not done to the military which is part of why hitler was able to to like exercise so much direct control of the military because a lot of the old structure of the imperial military was still in place right um now, this line of reasoning is, again, it's not, what Momsen is saying is not inherently unreasonable. That said, it's also probably worth noting that it is unsettlingly similar to justifications that German citizens at the time, like during the Third Reich, made for how bad Nazi officials were. Because Hitler by 38 is very popular. and. Right. But the Nazis are bad at governing, and a bunch of shit keeps going wrong that they were supposed to have fixed. So there's this attitude among citizens in the Reich that, like, 
Hitler's great. He doesn't know about how fucked up some of these guys are, right? He's too trusting. Yeah. He's too gentle natured. Right. Oh, yeah. Hitler, he would never yeah. expect people to do crimes. That's the thing about <laughs> Hitler is that he was always a very tolerant guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's just very nice, very sweet, non-confrontational. I think Not, that's all... a big thing about Hitler. Yeah. yeah. The man I'm who so, fought a... <laughs> anti-fascists with a whip in bar fights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Sorry. I'm a bit of an introvert. I don't like confrontation. I don't like direct conflict. Yeah. I just kind of want everyone to be cool and friends. <laughs> um, it's yeah. Again, so and this is so uh, part of what's gnarly is that this is an important debate to have if you're trying to understand what happened during the Third Reich, mm-hmm. because it's it's not. There's nothing wrong with saying, well, because of the structure of the Nazi Party and how like criminal and incompetent a lot of these guys were, Hitler was not able to exercise the kind of direct control in domestic policies that some people expected, and as a result, a lot of the early things, a lot of things that were done by the Nazi state were things that were just sort of like done by guys that he trusted to do stuff, and so he right. wasn't direct, which is not saying he's not ultimately responsible, yeah. because like, if I I were to hire someone onto cool zone media and mm-hmm. I were to say like you have a $50,000 budget for that can only be spent on bullets, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell you what to do with them. And then that person goes and commits crimes. I'm responsible to some extent, oh, right? Oh, like, yeah, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Um, I mean, it'd yeah. be weird if you were just like, Hey, come join my podcasting company and I'll give you 50,000 bullets. Yeah. No yeah. microphones. Here's a list of people I dislike, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be saying go kill these people, yeah. but it would yeah. be my fault, right? Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Um, now that stops with you, I think, in that case. Mm-hmm. Again, one of the conflicts here is that a number of people who are proponents of the weak dictator hypothesis are fucking fascists, including mm. a guy named David Irving. Irving was at one point a semi-respected scholar of German history. Kurt Vonnegut quotes him in a in a Slaughterhouse Five because one of the things Irving did is he he would write about how bad the Allied bombing campaigns were, and he seems to have exaggerated the death counts substantially, but they were pretty bad. So there was a time in which a guy like Vonnegut definitely not a Nazi would mm-hmm. be like, oh yeah, I was at Dresden. I know it was bad. I, 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 I this guy's saying the numbers are even worse than I knew. That seems credible to me. Right. And so Irving is, is at one point semi-respected, and then kind of turns into like it, now he is a hardcore Holocaust denier, right? And Sheesh. I guess he probably was at the time, but it wasn't immediately obvious. So mm-hmm. you you do run into people like Vonnegut who like cited Irving. 50 something years, 60 years ago or whatever, before he was a Nazi. And then it kind of comes out and it's kind of tarnished Vonnegut a little bit, even though it really shouldn't have. It was not. It's not unreasonable for a guy who's sitting in Dresden during the firebombing to be like, well, that was pretty bad. (laughs) The problem is, you know, Kurt Vonnegut didn't have um, uh, retweets don't equal endorsements on. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That would have solved the fucking problem. Would have solved them. People like, no, 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 no. He's cool. He's just he's not involved with the whole holocaust denying thing but he does think that dresden was pretty a pretty bad bombing that's all yeah now as is whenever you've got like a case where someone like me who's not a historian is saying here's these camps in this like massive historical debate Mm -hmm. the reality is nearly always that actual credible experts kind of like wind up more in the middle than Mm. anything else that said it's probably fair to say that the intentionalist interpretation of things um is is more 
respected among serious academics. Guys like Klaus Hildebrand will sum up uh, that argument by saying that national socialism was basically Hitlerism, right? Right. And and there's a lot to back up the the, the fact that there was nothing to this ideology and there was nothing to this government beyond this kind of central focus on Hitler as a person. Just straight demagoguery. And the fact that all resistance pretty much collapses when Hitler shoots himself is not uncompelling evidence, right? Of fact, right? Like <laughs> yeah. you can make a strong case here. Yes. Um, Very uh, n- uh, kill the Night King energy, yeah. and everyone else dissolves. But that said, it's also worth noting that, like, you know, we're not done with Nazism today, and like right. a lot of a lot of fascists today are base have based their own ideologies heavily on nationalist socialist principles. Millions of assholes all over the world are drawn to aspects of the political philosophy that animated the Nazis, even if they're not waving an actual swastika themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're usually so, not. They're just wearing a Blue Lives Matter shirt. Yeah, it, 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 that, that and and you could see that as evidence that like, well, maybe the functionalists have a point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know. It, it was not just Hitlerism. There sure. was something more to it. Now, the story of the man that we're going to discuss today kind of lies at the heart of this debate because Hitler is a factor. And you can say in the same way that when I hire that guy and give him thousands and thousands of bullets, I'm responsible for what he does with them. Hitler yes. is responsible it, to some extent for every murder that this guy is going to commit. But his direct fingerprints aren't really on any of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Hitler never says, hey, Oscar, I want you to go do some real fucked up shit. Yeah. Um, but also ready to put in work, Oscar. Hitler absolutely said, send that guy Oscar out to do the worst things anyone's ever done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's a real go getter. He's got that entrepreneurial spirit. And, And this is all there's a second debate that's kind of broader than the Hitler debate, which is are the physical culprits of the Holocaust willing executioners like did the Germans just raise up a generation of real assholes who were willing mm-hmm. to do horrible things or were they ordinary Germans? And it just turns out that normal people are uh, pretty malleable when it comes to war crimes. Yeah. And again, the actual truth here is always going to be from credible people. Well, it's kind of both and it kind of yeah. depends on which group of them you're talking about, right. what period of it. Right. Um, anyway, that's all just interesting context. I think for sort of the, the philosophical debates that are going on behind all of the war crimes we're about to talk about. Yeah, I, I don't just want to be uh, like, yeah, it sounds like, like uh, a 20 minute preface where it's like, we do not say that Hitler wasn't responsible for, but we're just saying there were some people who uh, went above and beyond the call of evil duty. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also just like when you're trying to understand how genocides occur, it's important to understand that it's like structurally a number of overlapping factors usually come together. Right. Um, Anyway, just wanted to talk about that. You can read a lot more about this. We'll have sources wherever we put sources, I'm sure, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a bunch of there's a bunch of books about people write entire books arguing over this. Yeah. Um, I am not again trying not to come down on either side, because basically, with the exception of that Holocaust denier, most of the people involved in the debate on both sides know more <laughs> about this than I do. Yeah. So <clears throat> Oscar Durlwanger was born on September 26th, 1895 in Würzburg, Swabia, Swabia, which is a ridiculous name for a place in yeah. southern Germany. He this spent is why his the Germans were day- mad because they all came from really just yeah. ridiculous yeah. sounding places. Yeah, they come from fucking Swabia, and then they hear there's a city called Krakow, which is a dope name for yeah, a city. Yeah, they're like, and they're oh, like well, we gotta fuck. fucking take that shit. Yeah, Jesus. I want to be a Krakowit. Warsaw, yeah. what a cool name. Yeah, we're yeah, over here exactly. with fucking Stuttgart. God damn it. <laughs> Warsaw is the coolest name. <laughs> That's for a, a city. dope name for a city. 
And I, I got to be honest, Moscow, pretty cool fucking yes. name for a city. Yeah. Like Stalingrad. Don't like Stalin. Pretty dope name. Yeah. Like, and the, what are you guys got? Oh, this is Munich. Bluchenflagen, Dubendubend. Oh, yeah. It's Garden. Come on, <laughs> this Germany. This sounds like vomiting. <laughs> Towns filled with vomit names. That's why they did it. That's why, yeah, that's why they're bad. <laughs> the secret to Hitler's madness is he grew up in a fucking shitty little town with a stupid name. I'm it's so cold. glad no. Matt's here for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I just uh I, I like to keep it silly when talking Holocaust. Yeah, you gotta you gotta keep it light, right? <laughs> yeah. Fucking Brownow Am Inn was the name of his fucking birthplace. What a ugh, ugh in, stupid. Anyway, um, Matt, you know what's not stupid? What? The products and services that support this podcast. Nice. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com behind. That's mintmobile.com behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Ugh, we're back. So, we just talked about how Oscar Durlwanger, born 1895, uh, his family moves from the stupid-named town to a slightly less stupid-named town, <laughs> Stuttgart, Germany, in 1900, which is where my mom was born, quite a oh. bit later. Um, yes. Uh, she told us later Later in life was like, yeah, you actually could have gotten German citizenship. And we were like... <laughs> What the fuck? Why didn't she do that? Yeah, what the hell? That Why sounds great. Like, for college? I could have two fucking passports. Do you know what kind <laughs> yeah. of shit I could get up to? I could have had healthcare. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he moves to Stuttgart in 1900 when he's five and then to the city of Esslingen in 1905 when he's 10. His family are probably, you would probably say they're solidly middle class, right? Mm. Uh, Durlwanger would later write that his parents were, quote, neither poor nor wealthy and describe his father as calm, intelligent, and frugal. He describes their familial relations as peaceful. Now, mm. when you're talking about a guy who does all the horrible things that he does, and this guy is like, like the number... Just, I don't want to say this like flippantly, but like the number of people that he personally raped could fill like a large town, like Jesus. like like really bad guy. Wow. You expect something horrific in his childhood. I think most people do because of probably because of unreason. And it's one of those things we don't have much detail, right? His right. youth occurs in the middle of like. It, you know, he's, he's born in a period where there's not a tremendous amount of record keeping, where the, it is not abnormal to hit kids, but he right. doesn't talk about there being any abuse in his childhood. I think there might be a, a belief among people that like, well, there probably was and he just didn't see it as, as normal. But it's also entirely possible this guy just had a pretty good childhood. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. You really never know. I do feel like, you know, nowadays we are always trying to understand the cycles of uh, violence, especially sexual violence and, you know, how that can kind of like uh, be hereditary, like generation after generation, you know, one person gets sexually abused as a child and then as an adult, they become a perpetrator. Um, but uh, I'm perfectly uh, willing to believe that some people uh, are just, are just shit, yeah. are born monsters, and yeah. uh, you know, hey, it's and a I, thing. I, I'm not sure that's what's. We'll, we'll talk about this guy's backstory because it's okay. interesting. Um, but I, I did want to look into like, well, how common is child abuse in like Germany and at the class level that he grew up in? Because I wanted to see like, is there maybe something more there? And it it, it kind of his youth actually occurs in the midst of this massive debate across the nation of Germany as to whether or not you should hit kids. Right. Mm. Like this is an actual serious debate. And it's it's a obviously a good one to have. Right. If yeah. the norm is was hitting kids for a while. And this is not a German thing. Right. The norm has always been hitting kids in most yeah. cultures. Right. Mo most cultures by by number of people smack the shit out of kids every now and again. Right. 
So again, not good, but Germany is actually having a debate, and we're, we are still having this debate, so they're mm. ahead of us, about like, should you do this at all? Now, Wilhelmine Germany, which is, you know, Germany, the, the only Germany that exists prior to the Weimar Republic, because mm-hmm. it's not an old country, had long embraced a concept that had existed in the region for a while called... <sighs> Jesus, Zuchtigungsprecht, <laughs> which means to rear by hitting. And it was generally interpreted as referring to the use of physical compulsion to ensure proper behavior and maintain order, right? Now, this mm. is both like, this is how you raise little kids and also like, you're in the military. This is how you train soldiers, right? right? You're you're on a work floor in a factory. Like, yeah, guy fucks up, you hit him, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. is, that, that's, that was a, a pretty common thing. But in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and it's important to note, Germany is like the medical superpower of the mm. world in this period. It, up, uh, like right when World War I hits, Germany has probably the best doctors and the best medical hospitals on the planet. Germany mm. is where you fucking go if you want like a fancy ass medical education. They're the best huh. at it. So, and it, this includes like psych- psychiatry, right? Obviously, like Freud and shit. Like they are on right. the cutting edge of this very early, like the kind of what will become developmental and child psychology and stuff. And in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there's all these debates and these like journal argues arguing about these cases that journalists will write about of child abuse in schools, of like teachers beating the shit out of students, and whether or not this is a good idea. I fe- There's an article in the Journal uh, for Central European History by Sace Elder that summarizes a 1903 case from Bavaria. Quote, a young male tutor, Andreas Dippold, had beaten his young charges so badly that one succumbed to his mistreatment. Jesus. So... This teacher in 1903, and this is when when Oscar is eight, beats a student to death, and it goes very viral. It enrages the entire country, and it's seized upon. Part of why it pisses people off is there's an activist named Elizabeth von Erzen, and whenever there's a von in a German name, it means she's a member of the nobility, right? So that's part of why she's able to be an activist. She's independently wealthy. And Elizabeth von Erzen founds the Society for the Protection of Children from Mistreatment and Exploitation, which Mm. is an organ, again, 1903. And, um, you know, basically goes to war over this. And I'm going to quote again from that same paper. The case demonstrated, von Ertzen wrote, that while torture had been abolished for adults, it was still widely practiced on children. One of the chief causes of child abuse, according to von Ertzen, was the claim to so-called Zuchtigungsbrecht, the right to use corporal punishment. Because of the defenselessness of children, it has become customary to exercise on them the right to use corporal punishment, even where it does not exist, she wrote. A host of people, including tutors, governesses, and babysitters, claim the right, but how far the right to corporal punishment is transferable is entirely an open question. Curiously, von Ertzen asserted there was both an objectively existing right to use corporal punishment and that there was no consensus on where that right lay. Mm. So again, she's not saying you should never slap a kid or never spank a kid. She's saying we're doing it too much and there needs to be a, bit about, a debate about who's allowed to do this, right? Right. Um, which is, again, pretty advanced for his t- its time, but also she is still saying like, well, yeah, sometimes you're going to hit kids. Of course, everybody yeah, does. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Occasionally, um, a little smack across the you mouth You got to smack a kid, sense. which, again, to be clear on the, the podcast stance, always bad. Anti, um, don't do it. This is a good thing, right? Within, within yeah. the context of like, every adult should be able to beat the shit out of kids whenever they want. A woman yeah. being like, hey, that's fucked up. We need yeah. to have a serious societal conversation about who and when it's okay to like smack a kid. Right. That's a that's a positive move. It's a and step in the right direction. You we're, know? Not, we're not having that discussion in the US, I don't think. I think people <laughs> are just like, yeah, you beat a kid, who gives a shit, right? They're yeah. kids, put them in I a factory. I I'm fine, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I just said earlier, but mm. I am fine. No, yeah. yeah, don't beat your kids. Yeah, uh, and, and Sace Elder writes, quote, 
Many popular and some scholarly depictions of German child-rearing in the Wilhelmine period assume that the methods were particularly harsh and brutal. Yet there is ample reason to doubt the stereotype of the harsh, brutal parent more ready to strike a child than embrace it. School discipline Damn. in other national contexts raises doubts about the extent to which German practices were exceptionally violent. Moreover, investigations of parenting advice literature have suggested that while there were concerns about the inadequacy of soft mothers to adequately raise strong, manly sons, the mother of the controlled child associated associated with the authoritarian personality and the rise of Nazism emerged in the advice literature only during World War I. Mm. Advice literature remained rather heterogeneous in its prescriptions for the training, correction, and care of children. As Carolyn Kay notes, prominent reformers such as Ellen Kay, Adele Schreiber, and Friedrich Wilhelm Forster argued strenuously against corporal punishment as detrimental to the development of the self-restrained, self-determined individual. This diversity of views, and especially the influence of the pedagogical reform movement, suggests that normative ideas about the purpose of corporal punishment, the interests it served, and the source of the legal right to use it were highly contested and Wilhelmine society and German legal cultures. So, hmm. again, really common to want to look for evidence of brutality in the upbringing of a brutal person, and especially to kind of blame the horrors of the Nazis on the way kids were raised. Right. But this guy, it's entirely possible that his parents never hit him because that was a lot of German families. And a lot of German yeah. families lined up on the, no, this is not okay. There was a vigorous debate and a substantial number of people were like, it's bad to hit kids. I'm just um, like amazed that baby books have been around for that long. Yeah, well, yeah. I thought that was a new, because like I'm, I'm mid reading like three baby books right now. And I'm like, yeah. how can... What, just anyone who has a baby can write a baby book? What are we doing here? One is just like, yeah. uh, if they cry, let them cry. And I'm like, this is... And How did you get a book deal? Yeah, I, I, my, my suspicion is that like baby books back then start at like the 90 day point. So it's like, okay, so this one didn't die. <laughs> right? <laughs> Chapters one through it three is, are it just It is like, old enough to count. Now it's time to start thinking about investing resources in it. So you have an alive child, huh? Yeah, yeah. you have a living child. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. What to expect when you're expecting a baby to live? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the most popular child-rearing book in Wilhelmine, Germany. So this one didn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Still kicking and screaming, huh? Nice. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, again, I just wanted to note that kind of, because we don't know much about his childhood, it's worth noting he does not report any abuse, and he he's born into a society that's probably the most progressive place, at least in the Western world, in terms mm. of, like, the argument that you shouldn't hit kids. Right. Um, so, yeah, anyway, if we are looking for hit, hints from his youth that might have some sort of predictive bearing on his future behavior, right? That might like presage some of the crimes he commits. We'd do better to cast our eyes up then towards the town of Wersesnia. Again, Mm. this is a Polish town. It's part of Poland today, Wersesnia. It's W-R-Z-E-S-N-I-A. It's part of Poland today, but at at this time it's part of Germany, right? Because Germans... Mm. The Prussians, in particular, occupy a, ch- a big chunk of what is today Poland in right, this period. Right. They don't lose it till World War One. 
Right. The right, occupiers, right. like most occupiers, did not like the idea of a people they had conquered speaking a language that wasn't theirs. Right. So the Germans are like, yeah. well, we got all these kids and uh, I don't think it's a great idea for them to learn Polish because we don't really want Polish people in Germany. Right. right. Like we, we yeah. want to get rid of that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one day in 1902, Johann Schultzen, who's a, a teacher a, uh, and a Prussian teacher in Wurzesnia, decides to take action. And I'm going to quote from a write up in the first news, a Polish news website. The pupils were crammed into a classroom on the first floor where they were given a final chance to repeat a religious song in German by heart. Those who did so were released home. The rest were held back to receive the flogging of their lives. Gee. Each child was individually frog-marched to a chamber on the ground floor set aside for administering the punishment. The children were given four to eight stinging strokes from a birch cane. The boys were flogged on their backsides, the girls on their open palms. This was not just an ordinary case of disciplining children through corporal punishment, which was common at the time. Each furious strike was intended to communicate the message, this is Prussia, we are in charge, you Poles will do as we say. One girl passed out from the pain, others mm. were not able to hold their books in their swollen hands. Fuck. So, that's pretty bad. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I guess I guess it was a necessity to have, uh, you know, organizations being like, stop beating your kids, mm -hmm. because there was literally <laughs> flogging rooms in you, the you, basements of schools. You for sure needed people who were like, being like, we have to stop flogging the children. Yeah. Perhaps, yes. you know what, wild idea, guys. What if we tried to be a no-flogging society? Yeah, I don't no know that anyone needs to be flogged. Yes, a no-flog zone is we might be able, We might be able to get by okay without floggings. <laughs> yeah, I think we could survive. Props. So this leads to the adults around them, the adults in town and stuff, like their parents, are like, what in the fucking Christ are you doing to our kids? This is nuts. And again, all of these people probably slap their kids, spank their kids, right? That's normal at the time. This is like a, a step beyond that, you know? So yeah. they, they, they engage in a strike that eventually, and it's, it's supported by the adults, but the strike spreads through and is to some extent organized by children and eventually comes to involve more than 50,000 Polish children Whoa, who like the, in an, the kids strike. Yeah. The kids go on strike and, and like, so they will all at the same days refuse to answer questions from their teachers. Like, I think they still go to school, right. but they just won't do anything there. Wow. Um, and it, you know, there's protests. There's what you might call a riot uh, where a bunch of the adults start throwing stones at Prussian teachers. Cause again, the teachers are, are the occupiers here sure. right these are not like people are sympathetic inherently to teachers for good reason these teachers are prussians who are like running schools in a military fashion in right. an occupied territory right so yeah. again throwing rocks at them probably fine like i'm, I'm just gonna say it probably fine <laughs> yeah. i think in general uh throwing yeah. rocks at all occupiers is yeah. what you should do i'm usually on the side of the people throwing rocks at the occupiers right absolutely um now german police showed up and they put a bunch of striking children on trial which is when the story blew up into an international issue uh and this is this uh, there's like massive articles in the new york times and like uh, like major international newspapers cover this because again this is a lot of fucking kids yeah and child strike is a pretty good story, yeah, right? That's a like, great headline. Fucking I'm kids going on strike. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, 20 people are eventually convicted, and one parent is sentenced to two and a half years in prison. The Germans even sentence a photographer to 40 days in prison for distributing photos of people connected to the case. Whoa. And again, this is a massive story. There's no way that Oscar Durlwanger, who's, you know, a kid at the time, would have missed hearing about this, right? Um, yeah. This is like a, a big deal all throughout Imperial Germany. 
And in fact, based on kind of his age, it's a good chance this is one of the first news stories he hears about as like a kid. Like one of his earliest memories might right. be hearing about this. But I mean, um, but it feels like he is reading his that family, story. Yes. And, and just lining up kids. with the being against yeah. the strike. <laughs> well, it's because I'm sure. And again, he's in Imperial Germany. He's not right. reading the New York Times coverage. He's reading like those those ungrateful polls mm-hmm. are attacking teachers. Yeah. They threw rocks at teachers yeah. trying to teach them to read German. Yeah. Right. Like that's more or less how it would have come down to him. Um, so. He makes his way through school, um, obtaining the German equivalent of like a high school degree. It's called a baccalaureate in the source I found, but I think right. this is just like a high school degree. None mm-hmm. of it, none of like schooling in this period maps exactly to our, our modern ideas, right? Sure. Um, yeah, they didn't cr- have common core math or nothing. They didn't have common they core math. Do the math or we flog! Yeah, they They, had had beatings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Christian Ingrau, who is the author of a book about Durlwanger and his unit, makes a point to note that his education, quote, did not include the humanities. Right. Mm. So this guy is not being and this is not actually not super common for Again, Germany is one of the centers of learning for the world. Center of art, center of culture. This is like the fact that he his specific education is kind of entirely focused on like industry and business and getting him ready to like run a factory right. does not include humanities is kind of noteworthy. Mm. Um, after graduating, he, he endures further education with the goal of entering the private sector. Again, he's basically training up to be like a mid-level functionary helping industrial Germany be industrial. Right. right. Like he's trying to be, uh, you sprockets know, a, a and shit, PMC. Right? That's what he yeah. wants. Yeah. So before he can finish any of this, before he he can get his college degree, uh, he, like all German men, has to do a year of service for the Kaiser in the military, right? This is like, there's a a universal draft. It's kind of like what, uh, Ukraine was starting a version of this before the war, right? Where like, everybody Mm -hmm. goes and they do a little bit of time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is so that when the big war comes that everyone knows is going to come, we have a bunch of guys we can call up and we don't need to train them, right? Right. Maybe we do a refresher for a week, but they know how to hold a gun, they know how to march, they know how to do all the things soldiers have to do yeah um so a lot of young men waited for the draft right because it's it's the kind of thing where like eventually your number comes up so a lot of guys tried to get in as much of their you know early adulthood as they could before they had to do it oscar volunteers he joins on his own um he he spends a year marching and training for again everyone assumes the next war is inevitable right germany had come to existence during a war that started in 1870 with france that had lasted less than a year and it was Mm -hmm. pretty bloody a lot of people die it's not like a not like a nice war Um, yeah this is like where we get germany everyone knows like well we got unfinished beef with france right they're gonna start some shit at some point right you know germany and france or prussia and france austria and france they've got a great history right they're not friendly you know yeah you're you're looking at these two guys who every 50 years get into a giant fight and are like yeah i bet they're gonna have another one at some point yeah Yeah, probably around now yeah Yeah. because it's been about 50 years they got a revolution they got napoleon they got another napoleon they got a king again yeah now they don't have a king (laughs) because that last war didn't go great so he he was probably it would it's probably best to assume that like oscar was eager for that war to start. A lot of German men were. Right. And his assumption was that it was going to be 
you get called up along with everybody else. Germany's you know, field army marches out first and then the reserves come in quick behind them. You campaign for a couple of months, maybe a year. And there's like a couple of big set piece battles, right? That's what mm-hmm. they're thinking. Not like we're going to be stuck in trenches for years, but like we'll right. have two, three or four real decisive giant fights. It'll yeah. be ugly, but then it'll be done. And one way or right. the other, we'll have peace, yeah, right? Ten that's, that's guys what the will die uh, on either side <laughs> yeah. of exhaustion. One guy will get stabbed. That was war back then, you know? Well, it was a little gnarlier than that when the Germans got. But they, they, it was not expected to be that bad, right? No, yeah, they didn't know yeah. how bad it is. Not like World War One was like, hey, this isn't hoo, as hoo. fun as I remember. So these machine guns, real serious, <laughs> yeah. huh? Yeah. Boy. Yeah, these, these muskets kill a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So Durlwanger is nearing the end of his year of service when the Archduke of Austria-Hungary gets gets got and World War I starts. Uh, Christian Ingrau writes, quote, Oscar Durlwanger's war began on August 2nd in a machine gun company of the 123rd Regiment of Grenadiers who were heading to France from Ulm by way of Belgium. Yep. In the confusion of general mobilization, troops that had already had their basic training were considered as part of the Reich's standing army. Thus, they were the spearhead of the Schlieffen plan, and Durlwanger was thrust into the battle at a time when losses were their most nightmarish. Mm. So, in the whole history of human beings fighting wars, this is like upper 5% of the worst things any soldiers in all of time experience, right? right. Like fucking World War One early days shit. Yeah. No, units get, like literally battalions, thousands of men getting wiped out almost to the man. Right. Um, just absolute fucking nightmare shit. And I, I think some additional detail is necessary here to really drive home the kind of experience Oscar has. Because we're trying to figure out like, what makes him such a piece of shit? Maybe mm-hmm. he was from the beginning. Some people just come out that way or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he is, at this point, comfortable middle-class kid, good family, peaceful family, as far as he says, goes to college on a pretty good life path, and then this happens. And, and in order to kind of contextualize his experience, I'm going to read a firsthand account from a British soldier, uh, mm. a young officer named Harold Macmillan, who later becomes prime minister, um, and who there's a good chance he's feet away from Oscar at points, right? There's no way to know, um, but it's easier, a little easier to find British firsthand accounts than German ones of this period. So that that's what we're we're reading. But I think this is more or less accurate to the kind of stuff that Oscar would have been seeing at this point. Perhaps the most extraordinary thing about the modern battlefield is the desolation and emptiness of it all. Nothing is to be seen of war or soldiers. Only the split and shattered trees and the burst of an occasional shell reveal anything of the truth. One can look for miles and see no human being, but in those miles of country lurk, like moles or rats it seems, thousands, even hundreds of thousands of men, planning against each other perpetually some new device of death. Never showing themselves, they launch at each other bullet, bomb, aerial torpedo, and shell, and somewhere, too, are the little cylinders of gas, waiting only for the moment to spit forth their nauseous and destroying fumes. Mm. And yet the landscape shows nothing of this, nothing but a few shattered trees and three or four thin lines of earth and sandbags. These and the ruins of towns and villages are the only signs of war anywhere. The glamour of red coats, the martial tunes of fife and drum, the aides-de-camp scurrying hither and thither on splendid chargers, lances glittering and swords flashing, how different the old wars must have been. The thrill of battle comes now only once or twice in a year. We need not so much the gallantry of our fathers. We need, and in our army at any rate, I think you will find it, that indomitable and patient determination. Like, this is, this is, this is, most of this war is sitting, Mm -hmm. waiting to get killed randomly, and then a couple of times a year, 
you and all of your friends get mowed down by machine guns. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that's what Daryl Wanger's war is. Most of it is getting trench foot and yeah. being like, I'm going to die from this. And, mm -hmm. you know, fucking watching, watching like unimaginable horror. Cause this is also at a time there's not mm -hmm. cool movies about crazy no. sci-fi horror shit. You know, this is like, this is unimaginable to most of these people. Yeah. This is like, you know, there, there's a, we could talk Tolkien was pretty adamant that his books weren't about anything that had actually happened but like Tolkien fights in a battle where thousands of men drown in the mud get like yeah. sucked down by their boots and like right. are suffocated while their friends watch and yes. then he like writes a chapter in his book about a marsh filled with corpses that you can see right, right? like right. that yeah. that's the kind and Durlwanger he's right there he's in the middle of this mm -hmm. his job is he's a machine gunner so he is number one he might have killed hundreds of people Right. Like potentially thousands. Some of these guys, literally individual dudes, shoot thousands of people to death over the course of the war. Mm. Um, there's no way to know how many people he killed. And at some point he would have, if he'd ever was counting, would have stopped. Right. Um, and uh, probably also basically everyone he starts the war knowing dies. Right. That Those early two, 1914 soldiers, not a high survival rate. No, um, no. They were imagining a war that you know from back in the day where there was like a drummer kid yeah you know and he is as a machine gunner number one he's valuable number yeah. two he is exposed and isolated and number three he is constantly targeted by artillery and snipers so this is like this is really bad bad war bad war experience yeah yeah um, yeah a lot of trauma yeah, there yeah i could say a little ptsd probably yeah, a little, little bit of maybe a little bit of ptsd just a um, just a little bit as you yeah in his first three months of combat, he's wounded badly enough in his foot that he's sent away for most of a year to heal, right? Like, whatever mm. the injury is, it's fucking gnarly. He comes back uh, the next year, and in September of 1915, he gets wounded in the arm by a bayonet. So Oof. whatever happens, he is fighting hand-to-hand -hand with people and gets stabbed nearly to death. Jeez. Um, and again, that's the... Everyone who fought in it agrees the very worst combat in World War One was hand-to-hand -hand trench combat. Yeah. Um, just a fucking nightmare yeah uh so he he gets wounded badly enough this is a very rare wound christian ingrow notes that only about one percent of injured german soldiers have a similar injury mm. and that's because nearly a hundred percent of men who get seriously wounded by a, a bayonet or a sword in close combat die because oh. everything is shit and mud around you it's right. getting jammed into your wound you're probably gonna bleed out like right. you 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 have better shot at a like per injury basis with like a gunshot wound than right, getting right, fucking right. stabbed in hand-to-hand -hand combat and did, um, they, do they even have anti they didn't have antibiotics back then right no so they don't no, they, they, they they're kind of starting to figure them out in this period but no these guys are not getting antibiotics administered yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, it, it is bad enough. He can never move his arm right again. And he mm. gets raided by the military as 40% disabled. Um, he's severely hurt enough that he probably could have ended his service there if he had pressed the matter, but he wanted to fight. And so in night, he stays in the military in September of 1916, he gets promoted to be an NCO and he's moved to be a machine gun trainer, right? So he could have stuck at this job training people and like not getting in direct combat, but he repeatedly demanded to be sent back to the front. And in April of 1917, he's back in combat, despite the fact that his arm and wrist are permanently injured. Um, he serves well. He's particularly 
particularly good now that he's commanding small groups of soldiers in combined arms using a mix of mortars, which you call pocket artillery, so short range artillery, machine mm. guns and maneuvering infantry. And like, these are a couple of hundred people engagements, right? He's very good at that. He's very good at, and this is the, the Germans in this period are inventing what we now know is just like standard combat tactics for small mm. units, right? All of that's being figured out by the Germans. Everyone else is a few years behind. And so he is one of the first guys to be commanding troops in gunfights in what we would consider today to be a pretty modern way, right? Mm, yeah. Um, so that's interesting to me. You know what else is interesting to me, Matt Lieb? What? The products and services that support this podcast, I knew which it. are also on the cutting edge of small unit infantry combat tactics. <laughs> Boy, if you want to learn how to kill a man, eat a Nathan's hot dog. That's right, Nathan's <laughs> hot dogs. Not only do they make good hot dogs, they'll teach you how to stab somebody. Mm -hmm. They're good at it. They've done it. They feel mm -hmm. nothing. Nathan's hot dogs, I've killed before. <laughs> That's their slogan, right? Mm -hmm. That's their slogan. That's right. <laughs> Have a hot dog. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Ah, oh, we're back. I hope you all have your hot dogs mm. and you're ready to see shove how them the, down your gullet. See how the sausage gets made if the mm. sausage is a war criminal. So, Daryl Wanger, uh, as an enlisted man, gets promoted to lieutenant, which is not common in most wars, right? Mm. Enlisted and officers are very different, and they're mm. different. Like, normally to be an officer, you like go to school. 
you like get a degree you are in the german military you're generally someone who comes from a, a, a high social status right, right? you got a vaughn um, in your name maybe you got a vaughn yeah. in your name maybe um it, pretty rare for a guy who's just like starts as a private to become a lieutenant through combat and the mm. reason this happens is that like everybody's dead right and th yeah. this is a thing that ha it happened a lot more back in the day like my grandpa was there for the like very you know he, he was in world war ii as well but when the korean war started he was in korea and he was a sergeant and by the time the war ended he was a major Damn. Um, which does not happen often. Uh, it's just yeah. like, you know, because everybody's dying, right? Like right. that's why this happens. Um, he becomes, he's sent over to the Eastern front where he becomes a company commander. And this is probably saves his life because things go really well for Germany in the East. Actually, they win a war against Russia and then a war against, uh, I think it's Romania. Mm -hmm. um, like they beat both of them while they're kind of at this stalemate in the Western front. We don't know a ton of his specific experiences on the Ost front, but Christian Ingrau writes, quote, if there were ever a library for the ethnic fear of the enemy during the Great War, it was the Eastern Front. Over and over, soldiers' letters spoke of the dirtiness, the inferiority, the primitive nature of the population, and this observation reinforced a social Darwinism and an essentialist view of the Eastern populations. Durowanger stayed in Russia until November 1918 as a company leader and lieutenant. So, he's probably, number one, comes into this pretty racist because most Germans are yeah. towards people in this region. Yeah. And that probably gets reinforced by being the occupier here, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when when the war ends and Germany does not win, there's all these rebellions, right? All these left-wing rebellions across the Reich and also like, it's kind of a disaster and no one had really expected, particularly in the East. So you've got all these skeleton units in the East that like, by the way, your country's d government's dissolved and you've right. lost the war. Go turn yourself into whatever people are nearby. Right. right. Like, like yeah. And a lot of German soldiers are like, well, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm and, not going and, to do that. <laughs> and also, I thought we were winning. I, you know, these guys are are all yeah. you know the the great stab in the stab yeah. in the back theory type thing. Well, yeah, because from their experience, we fucking beat these guys. Yeah, we, we beat, we them. beat, Russia we beat fell. Russia. Their gov Russia's hard is, to beat. The French yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, they got fucking Bolsheviks there yeah. now because of us. Fuck all y'all. Yeah. Um, Ain't so no Nicholas. Durowanger is one of the guys who's like, no, I'm not going to turn myself into the fucking Romanian government, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So he like grabs a bunch of, and he makes it clear like, because you know, again, everything's kind of chaotic. Everything's falling apart. He's basically just like yells to all of the Germans in earshot like, hey, I, I'm a company commander and I'm going to get everybody out of here. Like, if you mm. want to get the fuck out of here and don't want to wind up in a prison camp, follow me. Um, so he gets like, a shitload of people together and he leads them successfully home to Germany. One of the men he saved later wrote, quote, it is rare for an officer to be honored as our comrade. Durlwanger was this after his successful return, a return that the soldiers owed to him alone. He kept 600 men from being interned as so many war were before and after us. So among other things, Durlwanger will always be a guy that like his dudes fucking love him. And yeah. part of it is because like he will throw down for them. He's not, he's not one of these guys who's like standing in the back waiting to see how things happen he gets right. injured repeatedly because he's he you you have to say this about the man not afraid of getting shot yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah he's into it in fact he's I into think. it in fact it might be a kink yeah it's <laughs> yeah. part of it, it is unsettling actually yeah, yeah. so by the terms of the versailles treaty germany is forbidden from fielding an army larger than a hundred thousand men given the disastrous poverty that hits the country post defeat these slots are pretty coveted by demilitarized veterans right it's a it's a cushy gig adolf hitler is one of the 
the few lucky vets who gets a job post-war, and Durrell Wenger is another. But while Hitler is used by the Reichswehr, that's the new German military, they have him infiltrating right-wing groups, which is yeah. badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that didn't work out so much, dude. One of, really, maybe the worst single mistake anyone ever made was being yeah. like, hey, I Hitler, wanna... <laughs> see what those guys are up to. <laughs> you gotta do an episode on that yeah. guy, the guy who yeah. was like, hey, you know who'd yeah. be a good spy and devil You know who'd be good, yeah. <laughs> That Hitler guy. Hey, He'll keep an eye on these national socialists for yeah, us. Yeah, you report back. And whatever you do, don't join them or start yeah, leading them. Don't okay? join them. Don't join them at all. Don't Egg like on my face make it if a that thing. Were to happen. Boy. Yeah, imagine that guy in like 1945 is like every building around him is leveled by allied bombers. Ah, oh, shit, that didn't go well. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. oh, boy. I don't want to tell anybody what I did. <laughs> yeah, I have some regrets. Yeah. Yeah, I made a couple mistakes in the past. Yeah, I mean... One big uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> um... Hmm. So Durowanger also stays on. It's not hard to see why. Right, why he's got he's got like one of the best records anybody has from World mm. War One in terms of like a combat soldier. Um, and so they put him to the task of violently suppressing left wing uprisings. Um, he fights alongside and often in units of the Freikorps. And the Freikorps are kind of like they're a little like the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters in that they are groups of veterans that have been demilitarized who are taking up arms to defend the country, quote unquote, against socialists, right? Right. One of the things that, two, there's a couple of things that make them very different from those groups that we have in the United States, even though both try to overthrow the government. Mm -hmm. One is that the Fry Corps are all made up of guys who have actually done nightmare things, right? right like yeah, they're yeah. not they're not like dudes who like did four years in Korea and then like lied about their deployment history forever. Right, they're right. like guys who, guys whose like friend's teeth got embedded in their skin after their right. heads were blown apart. Yeah, these um, aren't guys who would, uh, you know, buy tactical sunglasses yeah, no. on TV. TV. These men are dead inside and killing makes them feel nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other thing is that these guys are being integrated by the military, right? Because the military mm. is like 100,000 men is not enough to do anything. So we have these hundreds of thousands of veterans who like, if we throw them a little bit of cash, if we look yeah. the other way when they acquire guns, we can bring them in and we can use them when we need them to like, like maintain yes. order and suppress things, right? So, and this is very illegal under like the terms of the treaty they've signed, but also pretty, again, nothing gets done for a number of reasons, including the fact that like a lot of people are like, well, what are we going to do? Fight him again? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's, he's with these guys. He's with these Fry Corps units, but he's kind of, he's in the Reichswehr and basically his job, cause he's commanding a unit. They, whenever they're, cause there's all these communist insurrectionary strikes, right? And he's in, he's particularly the areas he's in is Württemberg. And whenever the communists will like take over part of a town or like do a, a a big strike he and his guys will like drive through town on an armored train and fire machine guns at them um so <laughs> that's that's his gig now uh, to be entire <laughs> well it's a nice job if you can nice, get it yeah, you nice know? job if you can get it um <laughs> oh, God. now to be fair number one a lot of these communists also veterans. Now, a decent number of them are guys who didn't fight because they were like making bullets and stuff, right? Because factory mm. workers were are very easy to turn into communists, it turns out. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of them are veterans and they're not always unarmed. Uh, in March of 1921, 300 communists with guns take over the city of Sangerhausen as part of a broader German uprising. It's this attempt at like a mass, uh, uh, like general strike 
comma revolution um and max holes who who commands he's the guy in charge of the uh of the of the communists has his max holes yeah yeah, h-o-e-l-z um cool man it is cool max holes i'm gonna put max holes in you right exactly dude (laughs) how many guys fucking dude max holes must have done Mm -hmm. this the guy got shot a thousand times (laughs) why do you insist on giving people maximum holes so it's part of my name max holes uh has his men it pretty sounds pretty cool they're robbing all of the rich people in town to fund this wider uprising um they destroy the telegraph service which i think is probably to like limit the government's ability to communicate and then they kidnap all of the wealthiest people in town with an eye towards ransoming them to fund the revolution uh but then durlwanger (laughs) drives through town again he's got an armored train his men are generally (laughs) better trained and definitely better equipped and they they beat the cop they 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 force the communists out of town they actually kind of get the worst of the actual combat 13 mm. people die seven of whom are Durl wanger's men three of whom are insurgents and three of whom are civilians um mm. Durl wanger uses explosives to level significant parts of the city which is a big part of why holes in his guys bounce because they're like so this guy's just like blowing up all of town <laughs> to, in order right. to get yeah like, we're not really ready for this um yeah 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 this is a strategy i had not considered yes. and I, I consider many yeah. holes, not one, not one really hole. big hole. I'm not ready for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Durlwanger's response, uh, the way he obviously he wins, uh, which the government's happy with, but also he has blown up a significant portion of the town, uh, which does not mm. endear him to the townspeople who are like, well, these guys were robbing rich folks, but they didn't blow up downtown. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know if I'm like really on board with either of you. Um, yeah. One seems worse yeah. significantly. The Weimar government later decides that some of his actions have been extreme, right? He keeps getting like slaps on the wrist and he even gets jailed a couple of times, but he's also, he's really good at putting down insurrections, right? Like he's mm. great at it. So they're not going to like actually punish him. Damn, that sucks. It's just like, Ever since those those children's you know had a strike, he's like, I will make it my life's work to destroy any kind yeah. of solidarity between he's, people. He's really just always been defending those teachers who got hit with rocks. Yeah, exactly. You forgot to give us homework. That's like his whole thing. He's that kid. Now, militarized. He is off and on in the military, right? Like he's, I think, always drawing a salary, but he's like trying to do other stuff and he just like will regularly be like, hey, we need you to go shoot people from a train again. And off he'll go to go shoot people from a train. (laughs) And it kind of in between suppressing these uprisings, because there's a bunch in this 1918 to like 1921, like a lot of fucking shit's going down in Germany. Pretty wild Mm. history. He gets arrested twice and sentenced to prison for two short sentences, both times for illegally concealing weapons. Now, we don't have great detail on this, but it probably, because of the way it's written, it's probably not that he was carrying a gun concealed illegally, but that he was helping paramilitary Freikorps units steal and conceal machine guns and other, oh, like, like literally, sense. like, hiding, like, burying weapons, right? Yeah, because um, I was going to say, his job is, is I guess his, the train is not inconspicuous. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, um, they were like, you're allowed to have the gun train. Look, the gun train is fine. It's these other guns. Yeah, we that's have. cool and awesome. Well, yeah. but you can't be hiding guns. Well, and the reality is, like with our government, right? You've got these right-wing shithead militiamen, and there are cops, and there are soldiers who are on their side, and there are politicians who like them. There's also a lot of people in the government and the judicial system who are like, no, you can't do that. Here's a slap on the wrist, you know? Right, we did our yeah, job yeah. for liberal society. <laughs> I'm sure that's the last we'll hear of Oscar Derlwanger after he spends two months 
in prison for stealing just machine guns from the military. Dusting off his hands. Yeah. My work here Thus is done. Thus solving the problem forever. <laughs> so mm. the end of his military career for a little while is the 1923 Munich Beer Hall Putsch. Uh, Hitler attempts to take over the government. Doesn't go very well. And Oscar is not part of the Nazi party at this point, but he's in a bunch of different right-wing organizations that are close to them. And when Hitler does this, he attempts to send in the Stuttgart police's armored vehicles to support Hitler's mm-hmm. attempt to take power. This does not, uh, he's, he, he doesn't have the power to do this, right? Like he's not in charge of them. Yeah. So he, this doesn't work out. And he kind of like, he gets shit canned for this, which is fair, yeah. right? I would, I would fire somebody for this. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Or at least have HR yeah. kind of like do a, I don't know, suspend him for you, a little You should bit, do something, you know? right? You should do, there should yeah. be some sort of of process when you attempt. No gun train yeah. for one yeah. week. You don't get to get on that gun train for a whole week, yeah. Oscar. So by the time he's kind of out of the military, he is unemployed. Uh, it is 1923. He is 29 years old. He has several chronic injuries that trouble him, and he's looking for a gig. Now... <laughs> While this period, everything we've talked about with him suppressing all these left-wing uprisings is going on, Oscar's also going to college, right? He's basically doing his GI Bill equivalent shit. Uh, He had enrolled at a technical university soon after the war. And student culture in Germany during this period super right wing, right? Universities are filled mm. with veterans who had like were returning from the front. A lot of colleges were basically just recruitment grounds for Freikorps. Um, at the same yeah. time, student organizations had been taken by a trend uh, towards the Volkish movement. So a lot of like student organizations at different colleges are explicitly Volkish. And this is right. Volkish. It's a German ethno-nationalist movement that eventually kind of leads to the Nazi movement. But it's this like, you know, there's a German people it is a specific yeah, subset of us, and we're better than everyone, right? Like, right. we could get into yeah. it in more detail, but it's not really necessary. And I'm going to quote mm-hmm. from the SS Durlwanger Brigade by uh, Christian Ingrau. Quote, He distinguished himself very early by his Volkish convictions and expressed them with unusual violence. The university threatened him with disciplinary proceedings for avowed anti-Semitic agitation. This fact merely reflects Durlwanger's political involvement. Since 1919, he had been a member of the Deutsche Volksschutzund Trustbund, one of the most virulent organizations in terms of both anti-Semitic hatred and of revolutionary Mm. nationalist feeling. It counted in... Yeah, he's a Trustbund baby. He's a Trustbund baby. (laughs) And again, we don't know if he was like super anti-semitic his whole life if there was a thing because some guys pick it up during the war right like because yeah easy way for you know we, we don't really have that kind of context could have been something he got at home could have come later but he's mm-hmm. real hardcore racist by this point um yeah. i'm gonna continue that quote about the the Tristbund. It counted in its ranks future leaders of Nazi repression, such as Reinhard Heydrich and Reinhard Hohn. Hey, hey there's our buddy. Durl, shout out. Shout out. Uh, friend of the pod, Reinhard Heydrich. Friend, <laughs> friend of the pod, Reinhard Heydrich. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm. I love getting all the all the boys back together. Yeah, the gang's again, really coming together here. Yeah, the, this is like the Avengers, uh-huh. of, but they're in all... Yeah hate jews yep yep it's it's the avengers if the hulk was (laughs) looked like the hulk but like more like well actually edward norton played the hulk too so that's (laughs) right yeah actually yeah yeah, there's a there's a way to work this out you figure it out for yourselves you know the incredible yeah yeah there there we we go go. um (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, Durlwanger belonged to a nebula of parties and associations linked by the feeling that Germany was in imminent danger of disappearing, diminished as it was by territorial losses, the rulings of the Treaty of Versailles, and internal and external enemies who, despite the peace treaty, had not disarmed. So, Durlwanger's scholastic career was not interrupted either by his arrests or by his disciplinary proceedings for racism, because he gets in trouble with the school for being racist. He eventually yeah. moves to Frankfurt, where he finishes his education and winds up with a PhD in political science. He is a doctor. He is Dr. Oh, Oscar Durlwanger. He's doctor of hating yeah. Jews, straight uh, up. A startling number of the worst Nazis were doctors and lawyers of some sort. Or There's a great scene in the movie Conspiracy where like one yeah. of, the, I think it's um, Odilo Globochnik, but one of like the, the Nazis planning the fucking Holocaust because they're having an argument over like legal matters. It's like, raise your hand if you're a lawyer. And all of the guys at the table raise their <laughs> yeah. hand. Because yeah, they're all yeah. fucking, yeah. Um, <laughs> Some of them are literally doctors of law, actually. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he gets his PhD and he becomes an accountant. And for the next several years, he has a successful, if boring, career in business. Now, his his overt political involvement in right wing stuff fades after the putsch because for a while, like the Hitler movement's illegal. You know, there's there is a mm. bit of a crackdown. Um, and if Hitler's movement had died out, he might have just wound up as like a, a low key racist businessman. Like that's right. possible. Yeah. But the Nazis. <laughs> Don't go away. Uh, the ban against their activism fades and eventually ends. And in the late 1920s, Durlwanger gets back into it being involved with the SA, right? He can't do much in the streets because from 1928 to 1931, he's made the executive director of a textile factory owned by a Jewish family. But he embezzles mm. a shitload of money from this Jewish factory and he gives it to the SA so they can buy weapons. Um, Damn. Yeah. That's fucked that up. That is Big betrayal, pretty fucked dog. up. Yeah, not great. Um, so he's uh, he's funneling shit to the SA until 1932 when he can like rejoin publicly because it's safe. Um, so I do love though. I, I part of me is just like it. It would be dope to be that Jewish family who owns yeah. the fucking textile mill and watching this little anti-Semitic piece of shit not be able to say anything. Just oh, that I mean, feels so either good. that or they just you hate us. It would have been would have been cool if like that's how things had ended. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. 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 The rest of the history yeah. bad, but you know, for a second there, it's tight. Yeah. There's some fun moments probably. So yeah. Durowanger's loyalty and the enthusiastic support of guys he'd led into battle who had become Nazis meant that once he's publicly in the SA again, he gets promoted very quickly. By 1933, mm. he's been given a cushy job as director of the Heilbronn Employment Agency. The economy was. Once again, in the shitter, right? Things aren't going great for the German economy. And the fact that they can hand out jobs is critical to the new Nazi regime. It's part of how they're like consolidating power. So the fact that mm. Oscar is running an employment agency for the Nazis means that he's in a really trusted and important position, right? He's doling out money, essentially, to people who are supporting the regime. And he's able to, because he can hand out cushy gigs, probably is making a good amount of money via bribes, you have to assume. Yeah. Um, so his position is solid enough that he's able to fight off embezzlement allegations from his former employer, which are definitely <laughs> true. Um, yeah. He gets arrested. He, so he's arrested twice because he gets drunk and does drugs and crashes his car into people. Um, but all oh, that fuck. all that goes away. Yeah, he's a he is a hardcore drug addict, probably cocaine. 
Um, people usually aren't specific when they talk about it, but that would be my guess. Although maybe yeah. a few things. Um, but yeah. it, I like it because it's white. Yeah. White powder. <laughs> Zivitist of drugs. <laughs> yes. so, Pure white powder. He's doing great. He's he's handing out jobs. He's crashing his car while wasted. Um, if, if <laughs> life is going well for Dr. Oscar Durlwanger. But then yeah. on July 22nd, 1934, tragedy strikes matt because he gets caught oh, no. having sex with a 14 year old girl um <sighs> yeah oh yeah um oh yes i thought you meant tragedy strikes for him it's, <laughs> yeah. it is a tragedy fuck. um i mean it's he a would consider it one too sure. but like yeah no i was not referring to him so Oh, yeah. He had met her while she, she, she's a volunteer for the Red Cross that he meets in his official duties. Um, mm. He will argue when he goes to court that she just lied about her age. She claims she was violently raped and the medical examination suggests violent rape. So mm. I can tell you whose account I trust. And it's <laughs> not <laughs> <Yeah>. the Nazi. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Now, this is a problem for his Nazi employers, right? They don't. They're not, like, cool with this, right? Again, these guys are right. Nazis, but most of them have been normal people most of their lives. And when you hear right, that this guy right. who you're, like, involved with rapes a child, they're like, well, no, we don't want you to be in our organization yeah. for a while. Yeah, people might think we're they, bad They guys. might not like the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you know, we want people to like us first. God. So he gets stripped of his doctoral title. He loses his PhD. He gets removed from Damn. the essay, and he's sent to prison for two years. Um, mm -hmm. He also gets embezzled, punished for embezzling the money that he'd sent to the essay. So they, they just kind of throw the book at him. I think this. Yeah, they just tacked yeah. on some extra like, yeah, 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 get them all. It, it might be that this girl was also the daughter of a Nazi who like had some pull. Right. And so that's that's oh, part yeah. of like, again, if he had done this to someone who was, you know, marginalized by the Nazi state, probably wouldn't have been a punishment. But he does pick. Totally. He picks like an Aryan girl. Um, yeah. so that's a big part of why he gets in trouble, but he does get in trouble. I would say two years is not enough time, but it's not nothing. Um, so yeah. he gets out of prison in 1936 and he sets to work immediately begging his former bosses for forgiveness. He's like, I want my, please reinstate my doctorate. I've done all this stuff for the movement. Um, he sends so many letters directly to Hitler begging for clemency that he gets arrested again and sent to a concentration camp. Like, Fuck. they're like, you got to stop bugging Hitler. You know, it'll cool you yeah, off yeah, yeah. some time and fucking Dachau. If you send goddamn letter, dude. <laughs> yeah, he gets sent to, I think oh, it's man. Dachau for like, it might have been Sachsenhausen, for sending Hitler too many fucking letters. <laughs> um, which is, I have to say, there aren't a lot of silly reasons to get sent to a concentration yes. camp. But that is one. That is the silly <laughs> reason. Silliest reason. Yeah, there's like oh, guys who are dying of typhoid. Like, that's ridiculous. That's why you're here? What the fuck, man? <laughs> what are you in for? Um, I really want my doctorate back. Yeah. You see, I have this certificate <laughs> yeah. that was, it meant a lot to oh, me. Sorry, I couldn't hear you. My teeth fell out. What? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, he, he spends some time in a camp when he gets out, he is now 39 years old. Um, mm -hmm. and he is, he kind of doesn't have a whole lot of options, right? He, he can either, he can force his way back into civilian life and find a job that'll take a convicted child molester, uh, and kind of just scrape by on the margins, or he can get ahead again. The only way he'd ever known how. By being Gun yeah, exactly by being the most violent fascist <laughs> son of a bitch he could be. It just happens that 1936 is a pretty good year to be that guy. 
So yeah. that is the first year of the Spanish Civil War, which is maybe mm. the best time in history to be a German combat veteran with zero morals. Um, yeah, yeah. So Durrell he's lost most of his connections because of the whole molesting a child thing, but he still has one friend, a guy named Gottlob Berger, that he had, these, they had been war buddies, right? Berger had risen to a pretty respectable rank within the new SS, which is, again, the SS is a pretty new organization at this point, and Berger is yeah. fairly well-placed in it. So Berger puts in a good word for his old friend to have Oscar serve with Germany's military expedition in Spain, the Condor Legion, right? And I'm going to quote next from a write-up in the fifth field here. Here he helped train Spanish crews in tank warfare. After arriving in Spain in April of 1937, his commander, Oberst Ritter von Thoma of the German army, rated his performance in Spain as outstanding. For his superior service there, Durlwanger received the Spanish Campaign Medal, the Spanish Military Service Cross, and the Spanish Cross in Silver. Oscar Durlwanger returned to Germany from Spain in May of 1939, and commenting on his past, Durlwanger said at this point, Even though I did wrong, I never committed a crime. Wow. wow. <laughs> I got to you got to love someone yeah. who's willing to be accountable yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. It's amazing like what a what a way to, bad what things, a way to refer but, to molesting a child. <laughs> like, right. Show me where in the Weimar Republic constitution mm -hmm. it says that I can't molest a child. So, tell me where. <laughs> this is basically the deal is that you help us brutally suppress the left in this civil war. And we will pretend you didn't molest that child, right? Like that is yeah. that is literally the deal that the Nazis make. Um, and this is like signed off. I believe Himmler's one of the people who signs off on it. At a pretty high level, this is signed off. Because yeah. what he's done is bad. And he probably, this is something we don't have a lot of context on, but probably he also did piss off people who were influential by doing this. So yeah. when Durlwanger returns home, his government is in the final stages of planning its invasion of Poland. Now, this is going to be a different sort of conflict than the one that the Reich had faced, a mass war mm. with German troops facing the brunt of enemy engagement, not Spanish soldiers who were like, just dudes. The fear right. of every general in this kind of a war is rural saboteurs or insurgents. Now, the German army has a long and nasty history fighting such men. A lot of the war crimes they commit in World War I are dealing with these saboteurs. Um, so they've got experience fighting these guys, but also part, a lot of their experience is that like it's really hard to capture these guys. And the things that make normal soldiers good at being normal soldiers tend to make them bad at fighting insurgencies, right? Like mm. not entirely transferable sets of skills. So in right. order to train people to do that, the, the Nazi high brass, and this is decisions being made at like the Hitler level, are like, we should probably, what if we were to make a unit entirely out of criminals? specifically? poachers, right? Guys whose job is to go into the woods, survive off the land, hunt and kill things, and not get caught, right? And that's not a bad line of thinking, right? Like, if you're like, who's going to be good at hunting down insurgents? Well, poachers probably, actually. Yeah. Probably would yeah, be pretty yeah, good yeah. at that job. Um, I get the logic there. Yeah, and they, you know, so the, the idea is we're going to, like, take men that we have in prison for these poaching crimes, and we're going to turn them into commandos. Now, during his time in Spain, Durlwanger has redeemed himself in the eyes of the Nazis. His convictions get annulled, and he gets his doctorate back. They give him back his PhD. Um, so, yes, I got my certificate. Yes, they put this now up in my, my office. <laughs> I love, I'm going to frame it again. So, as these Nazi leaders turn to the task of like finding a guy who are gonna who's gonna run this this criminal unit, naturally they're like. 
Well, this guy, actually, number one, he's fought insurgents for us in Germany. We mm. know he's good at it. He's good at normal soldier stuff. And like them, he's a terrible criminal. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. he's perfect. Yeah. yeah, they're like, yeah, he's molested a child. He's got a severe alcohol and drug problem. But like, we're sending him to Man. Poland where it's fine for him to do all that. Right. Exactly. We, don't, we don't care who he molests in Poland or how fucked yeah. up he is while he does it. Get him over yeah. there. Right? <laughs> so that is how Austin. Oscar Durrellwanger becomes the commandant of what will become known to history as the Durrellwanger Brigade. And that's a story we're going to get into in part two. Oof. I, am I excited about it? Because uh, this guy's, I just, I feel that with all the crimes that you've talked, and there have been a lot of crimes. He has committed so far. a significant number, yes. Already. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, now we're gonna let this fucking Tasmanian mm-hmm. devil loose. This is uh this is gonna get bad yeah. and depressing. Yeah, this guy is already pretty bad dude, and he's about to get sent yeah. to Poland, right? Um, yes, yeah. I want you fucking to fucking the gun train was in the preface. Yeah, yeah. Like, gun, gun train is before he was really that bad, honestly. That was the wind-up was guy had yeah, gun train. You're gonna miss gun train in a second. <laughs> Before we do that, I I feel like the only proper way to end is, Matt, I want you to go to Google and I want you to type in the name Oscar Durlwanger. I want you to see what this motherfucker looks like. So A-O-S-K-A-R-D-I-R-L-E-W-A-N-G-E-R. Oh my good God. Come on. You could without makeup cast this guy as an orc in a fucking Lord of the Rings show. <laughs> like he look or a goblin probably. He looks like this a monster. Fucking just man I mean like, like this dude look we don't like to attack people for who have done actual bad things for their appearance but this guy sure. looks like a monster like you he's see just, this motherfucker in the street and you're like well this is a bad person <laughs> you could draw this guy yeah. just from like mm. just guess and you are yeah. correct on what like, this guy it, looks it is like frighteningly evil looking um God absolutely <laughs> dead eyes frighteningly yeah. evil looking is the perfect description what a what a monster (laughs) of course he looks exactly like this it's just uh he's got just that perfectly skeletal he has a totally skull face right like yeah yeah just a skull and uh, a receding hairline and uh, just like one of those shitty german mustaches where they're like we're going to make him literal yeah but he he didn't fully commit to Mm -hmm. it so there's a little bit sticking out it kind of uh, is a pedo stash right like he's got that going on a little bit yeah, anyway, he's got the, the it's originally it's the Durlinger. Look, That's the stash. <laughs> I'm Gross. I'm not proud of attacking a man for his 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 appearance, but take a look at this guy and, and tell me no we qualms. shouldn't be right. Like, just I, get a look at this motherfucker. Just look at him. I feel yeah. like I understand the, you know, uh, the impulse to be like, don't fat shame. Trump, it's not about it's fat shaming, like, but this guy, this guy looks like the life he's led and the life he's led yes. is running a gun train in between committing rape. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Fuck yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug for us, Matt Lieb? Absolutely. Um, so I have um, a new podcast uh, called Pod Yourself the Wire. Uh, before we did a Sopranos podcast called Pod Yourself a Gun. Now we're doing The Wire and it's a great show. And um, I would love for y'all to listen to it. 
And you know, if you're like, no, I fucked up. I don't want to listen. Um, just go to the Apple podcast store and give us five stars in a review anyways. Yeah. And then press play and then mute. You don't even have to listen. But if you could just do that, five stars in review, get that for us. Cause I got a fucking baby. I got a baby now, dog. Well, yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Matt Lieb has a baby in a couple of weeks. So yeah, go draw. Send us all of your art of Matt Lieb's baby as Tony <laughs> Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to, you know, you can make our baby look like uh, Jimmy McNulty. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Do a man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially pose it with like a couple of empty bottles, like baby sized yeah, liquor so bottles. A little yeah. Little Irish little baby. Wasted like, Jimmy McNulty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have it, you know, taking a shit and going, she, she, you know. That'll be God. fun. A little Clay Davis. Yeah. yeah, do it as Clay Davis. Get a little Omar mm-hmm. baby costume with like a double-barreled yeah. shotgun. And yeah, fucking yeah. hell yeah. You come at my diapers, yeah. you best not piss. Dress him like, know, something like Ziggy that. Svobodka somehow. I don't know. Do it all. <laughs> yeah. Do all the seasons. Even two, which nobody likes. Except for yes, me. Yes, but it is a it great season. It is a great season. season, season I like two. season two. I love I it think, too. The dots, yeah, a bunch of polls, give it to me. Yeah, well, that's one of the strengths of the show. But now we're veering into your territory. I'm, I'm, I've staggered into, like the German army is about to do in Poland. <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> staggering into the wire yeah, territory. Yeah. All right, uh, episode's all right. over. Bye. Bye. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media. Visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring.